Section 18 of the Exemplary Novels of Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kirk Ziegler. The Exemplary Novels by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra. Translated by Walter K. Kelly. The Generous Lover, Part 3. Friday being come, he went to the mosque, from which he was sure not to return for about four hours. He was no sooner gone than Halema sent for Mario, but a Corsican slave who acted as porter would not have admitted him into the courtyard if Halema had not called out to let him pass, whereupon he came in confused and trembling, as if he were going to encounter a host of enemies. Leonisa was seated at the foot of a great marble staircase, in the dress in which she had appeared before the Pasha's. Her right arm resting on her knee supported her head, and her back was towards the door by which Mario entered, so that though he advanced to where she sat, she did not see him. Ricardo cast his eyes all around the place when he entered. All was silence and solitude, until he turned his gaze to where Leonisa sat. Instantly he was seized with a thousand conflicting emotions. He was within twenty paces of the object of his soul's desire, but he was a captive, and the glory of his life was in the power of another. Thus agitated with fear and exultation, joy and sadness, he advanced towards her slowly, until Leonisa suddenly turned round and her eyes met his earnest gaze. He stopped, unable to move another step. Leonisa, who believed him dead, was struck with awe and consternation at seeing him so unexpectedly before her. With her eyes still fixed upon him and without turning her back, she retreated up four or five stairs took a little cross from her breast and kissed it again and again and crossed herself repeatedly as though a being from another world stood before her ricardo presently recovered himself and perceiving from leonisa's gestures what was the cause of her terror he said it grieves me beautiful leonisa that the news which mahmoud gave you of my death was not true so that i might be free from the fear i now feel lest the rigour you have also shown towards me still subsists entire set your mind at ease lady and come down and if you will do what you have never yet done approach me you will see that i am not a phantom i am ricardo leonisa ricardo the happy if you will bid him be so here leonisa put her finger to her lips giving ricardo to understand that he should be silent or speak more low gathering a little courage he drew near enough to hear her whisper thus speak softly mario for i hear you are now called talk of nothing but what i talk of and bear in mind that if we are overheard it will be the cause of our never meeting again i believe that halima our mistress is listening to us she has told me that she adores you and has sent me here as her intercessor if you will respond to her desires you will consult the interest of your body more than of your soul and if you will not you must feign to do so were it only because i request it and for sake of what is due to the declared desires of a woman never did i think never could i imagine beauteous leonisa replied ricardo that you could ever ask anything of me which i would not find it impossible to comply but this present request of yours has undeceived me is the inclination so slight a thing that it can be moved this way or that at pleasure would it become a man of truth and honour to feign in such matters of such weight do you think that such things can or ought to be done be it as you will since it is for you to command and for me to obey, and that it may not be said I failed to do so with regard to the first order you laid upon me, I will impose silence on the voice of my honour, 
and will pretend to return Halima's passion as you desire, if I may thereby secure the blessing of seeing you. And you have only to signify as much to her in such terms as you think proper. In return for this sacrifice, to me the greatest possible, I entreat you to tell me briefly how you escaped from the hands of the corsairs, and fell into those of the Jew who sold you. The recital of my misfortunes, Leonisa answered, demands more time than we now have at our disposal. Nevertheless, I will tell you some particulars. The day after we parted company, Yusuf's galley was driven back by a contrary wind to the island of Pantantanella, where we also saw your galley, but ours, in spite of all efforts, was driven upon the rocks. My master, seeing death so near, quickly emptied two water-casks, closed them tightly, lashed them together with ropes, and placed me between them. Then, stripping off his clothes, he took another cask in his arms, and passing round his body a rope attached to the casks, on which I was placed. He boldly plunged into the sea. I had not the courage to follow his example, but another Turk pushed me in. I fell senseless into the water, and did not recover until I found myself on land in the arms of two Turks, who held me with my mouth downwards, discharging a great quantity of water which I had swallowed. I opened my eyes, and looking wildly round me, the first thing I saw was Yusuf, laying beside me with his skull shattered, having, as I afterwards learned, been dashed head foremost against the rocks. The Turks told me they had hauled me ashore by the rope, more dead than alive. Only eight persons escaped out of the unfortunate galley. We remained eight days on the island, during which the Turks treated me with as much respect as if I were their sister. We lay hid in a cave, the Turks being afraid of being captured by some of the Christian garrison of a fort in the island, and we supported ourselves with biscuits from the foundered galley, which the waves cast ashore, and which the men collected by night. It happened for my misfortune that the commandant of the fort had died a few days before and that there were in it only twenty soldiers. This fact we learned from a boy whom the Turks captured, as he was amusing himself gathering shells on the shore. At the end of eight days a Moorish vessel, of the kind which the Turks call Karamusel, hove in sight. The Turks quitted their hiding-place and made signals which were recognized by the crew of the Karamusel. They landed it, and hearing from their countrymen an account of their disasters, they took us all on board, where there was a very rich Jew, whom the whole cargo, or the greater part of it, belonged, consisting of carpets, stuffs, and other wares, which are commonly exported by the Jews from Barbary to the Levant. The vessel carried us to Tripoli, and during the voyage I was sold to the Jew, who gave two thousand doubloons, an excessive price, but the Jew was made liberal by the love he conceived for me. After leaving the Turks in Tripoli, the vessel continued its voyage, and the Jew began to opportune me with his solicitations, which I treated with the scorn they deserved. Despairing, therefore, of success, he resolved to get rid of me upon the first opportunity, and knowing that the two pashas, Ali and Hassan, were in this island, where he could sell his goods as well in seal, whither he had been bound, he landed here in hopes of disposing of me to one of the two pashas, with which view he had me dressed as you now see me. I find that I have been purchased by the caddy, for the purpose of being presented to the Grand Turk, which causes me no little dread. Here I heard of your pretended death, which, if you will believe me, grieved me to the soul. Yet I envied rather than pitied you, not from ill-will towards you, for, if insensible to love, I am yet neither unfeeling nor ungrateful, but because I believed that your sorrows were all at an end. "'You would be right, lady,' said Ricardo, "'were it not that death would have robbed me of the bliss of seeing you again. The felicity of this moment is more to me than any blessing in life or death could bring me.' 
that of eternity alone expected my master the caddy into whose hands i have fallen by as strange a series of adventures as your own is just in the same disposition towards you as halima is towards me and has deputed me to be the interpreter of his feelings i accepted the office not with the intention of serving his wishes but my own in obtaining opportunities to speak with you only see leonisa to what a pass our misfortunes have brought us you to ask from me what you know to be impossible and me to propose to you what i would give my life not to obtain dear as that life is to me now since i have the happiness to behold you i know not what to say to you ricardo replied leonisa nor what issue we can find from the labyrinth in which we are involved i can only say that we must practise what would not be expected from us dissimulation and deceit i will repeat to halima some phrases on your part which will rather encourage than make her despair and you may tell the caddy whatever you think may serve with safety to my honour to keep him in his delusion and since i place my honour in your hands you may be assured that i have preserved it intact in spite of all the perils and trials i have undergone opportunity to converse together will be easily afforded us and to me this will be most pleasing provided you never address me on the subject of your suit from the moment you do so i shall cease to see you for i would not have you suppose that my spirit is so weak as to be swayed by captivity with the favour of heaven i hope to prove like gold which becomes the purer the more it is passed through the furnace be content with the insurance i have given you that i shall no longer look upon you with repugnance as i used to do for i must tell you ricardo that i always found you somewhat more arrogant and presumptuous than became you i confess also that i was deceived and that my eyes being now opened if the experiment were to be made over again perhaps i should be more humane to you within the bounds of honour go now and god be with you for i am afraid lest halima may have been listening to us and she understands something of our language i fully acknowledge the propriety of all you have said lady replied ricardo i am infinitely obliged for the explanation you have given me and perhaps time will show you how profoundly respectful is the adoration i profess for you rely upon me that i will deal in the best manner with the caddy and do what and do you do the same with halima believe me lady since i have seen you there has sprung up in my heart an assured hope that we shall soon achieve our freedom and so i commend you to god's keeping deferring to another time to tell you the events by which fortune brought me to this place after we were parted they now separated leonisa well pleased with ricardo's modest behaviour and he overjoyed having heard from her lips words unmixed with harshness halima meanwhile had shut herself up in her room and was praying for mahomet for leonisa's success in the commission she had given her the caddy was in the mosque burning like his wife with desire and anxiously awaiting the answer to be brought him by the slave he had sent to speak to leonisa and who mahmoud was to admit to her presence for that purpose even though halima was at home leonisa inflamed halima's impure desires giving her very good hopes that mario would do all she wished but telling her that two months must elapse before he could consent to what he longed for even more than herself and that he asked that delay that he might complete a course of devotion for the recovery of his freedom halima was satisfied with this excuse but begged leonisa to tell dear mario to spare himself for the trouble and her delay he proposed for she would give him at once whatever the caddy required for his ransom before ricardo went with his answer to his master he consulted mahmoud as to what should be they agreed between them that it should be as discouraging as possible 
and that he should advise the caddy to take the girl as soon as possible to constantinople and accomplish his wishes on the way by fair means or by force moreover that in order to prevent the unpleasant consequences that might ensue from supplanting the sultan it would be well to purchase another slave then pretend or contrive on the voyage that leonisa should fall sick and throw the newly purchased christian woman into the sea by night with all possible secrecy giving out that the person who had died was leonisa the sultan's slave all this might be done in such a manner that the truth should never be known and the caddy would remain blameless in the sultan's eyes and have full enjoyment of his desires the wretched old caddy was so blinded by his passion he would have listened to any absurdity they proposed eagerly fell in with this scheme as one full of promise and so indeed it was but not as he imagined for the intention of his two advisers was to make off with the boat and pitch the old fool into the sea but a difficulty occurred to the caddy one of the greatest in his eyes that could possibly be it occurred to him that his wife would not let him go to constantinople without her but presently he got over this obstacle by saying that instead of buying a christian woman to put to death in leonisa's name he would make halima serve his turn for he longed with all his heart to be rid of her mahmoud and ricardo agreed to this expedient as readily as he proposed it and this being finally settled the caddy that same day imparted to his wife his design of setting out at once for constantinople to present the christian captive to the sultan who he expected would in his munificence make him grand caddy of cairo or constantinople halima with great clarity expressed her approval of his intention believing that mario would be left at home but when the caddy told her that he would take both him and mahmoud along with him she changed her mind and began to dissuade him from what she had before advised and finally she told him that unless she went with him she would not allow him to go at all the caddy had great satisfaction in complying with her desire for he thought he would soon get rid of a burden that hung like a millstone around his neck all this while hassan pasha was indefatigable in expressing to the caddy to give up the slave-girl to him in return for which he offered him mountains of gold and had already made him a present of ricardo whose ransom he valued at two thousand crowns moreover to facilitate the transfer he suggested the caddy the same expedient which the latter himself devised namely that when the grand turk sent for leonisa he should pretend she was dead but all the pasha's gifts promises and entreaties had no other effect on the caddy than to increase his eagerness to hasten his departure tormented therefore by his own desires by hassan's importunities and by those of halima for she too was amusing herself with vain hopes he made such a dispatch that in twenty days he had equipped a brigantine of fifteen benches which he manned with able turkish mariners and some greek christians he put all his wealth on board it halima too left nothing of value behind her and asked her husband to let her take her parents with her that they might see constantinople halima entertained the same designs as mahmoud and ricardo she intended with their help to seize the brigantine but would not make this known to them until she found herself actually embarked afterwards she proposed to land among christians return to her old creed and marry ricardo for she had some reason to suppose that bringing so much wealth with her he would not fail to take her to wife on her again becoming christian ricardo had another interview with leonisa and made known to her the whole scheme they had projected and she in turn apprised him of the designs of halima who kept no secret from leonisa after mutual injunctions of secrecy they bade each other adieu until the day of embarkation when it arrived hassan escorted the party to shore with all his soldiers 
and did not leave them until they had set sail. Even then he never took his eyes off the brigantine until it was out of sight. It almost seemed as if the sighs heaved by the enamoured Moslem swelled the gale, and impelled with more force the sails that were wafting in his soul. But his love had allowed him no rest, but plenty of time to consider what he should do to escape the killing by the vehemence of his unsatisfied desire, he immediately put in operation a plan he had long matured. He put fifty soldiers, all trusty men, bound to him by many favors received and expected, on board a vessel of seventeen benches, which he had secretly fitted out in another port. He ordered them to pursue and capture the brigantine with all its wealth, and put every soul on board to the sword, with the exception of Leonisa, whom he desired to have as his own sole share of the immense booty. He also ordered them to sink the brigantine, so that no trace of her fate might remain. Animated with the hope of plunder, the soldiers proceeded with the utmost clarity to execute the Pasha's orders, which seemed the more easy, as the crew of the brigantine were unarmed, not anticipating any such encounter. It had been now two days under sail, which seemed two centuries to the caddy, who would fain, on the very first of them, have carried his design into effect but his two slaves represented to him the absolute necessity that Leonisa should first fall sick in order to give color to the report of her death, and that the feigned malady ought to last some days. The caddy was much more disposed to say that she died suddenly, finish the whole job at once, dispatch his wife, and delay the raging fire that was consuming his vitals, but he was obliged to submit to the advice of his two counsellors. Meanwhile, Halima had declared her design to Mahmoud and Ricardo, who had signified their readiness to accomplish it when passing the cross of Alexandria, or entering the castles of Anatolia. But so intolerably did the caddy importune them, that they made up their minds to do so upon the first opportunity that offered. And after they had been six days at sea, the caddy thought that Leonisa's fatigued malady had lasted quite long enough, and it was very urgent with them that they should finish with Halima on the following day. And to quiet him they promised that they would do so. But when that day came, which, as they expected, was to witness the accomplishment of their own secret plans, or to be the last day of their lives, they suddenly discovered a vessel giving chase to them, with all speed of sails and oars. They were afraid it was a Christian corsair, from which neither party had any good to expect, for if it were one, the Muslims would be made captive, and the Christians, though left at liberty, would be plundered of everything. Mahmoud and Ricardo, however, took comfort in the prospect of freedom for Leonisa and themselves. Nevertheless, they were not without fear of the insolence of the corsairs, for people who abandon themselves to such practices, whatever their religion or law, are invariably cruel and brutal. The caddy's crew made preparation to defend themselves, but without quitting their oars, and still doing all in their power to escape. But the vessel in chase gained upon them so fast that in less than two hours it was within cannon-shot. Seeing her so close, they lowered their sails, stood to their arms, and waited the assault. Though the caddy told them they had nothing to fear, for the stranger was under Turkish colors and would do them no harm, he gave orders to hoist the white flag of peace. Just then Mahmoud chanced to turn his head, and espied another galley some twenty benches, apparently, bearing down upon them from the west. He told the caddy, and some Christians at the oar said that this vessel was one of their own people. The confusion and alarm was now doubled, and all awaited the issue in anxious suspense, not knowing whether to hope or fear it. I fancy the caddy just then 
would have gladly foregone all his amorous hopes to be safe again in Nicosia. So great was his perplexity. It did not last long, however, for the first galley, without paying the least regard to the flag of peace, or to what was due to community and religion, bore down upon his brigantine with such fury as nearly to send it to the bottom. The caddy then perceived that the assailants were soldiers of Nicosia, and guessing what was the real state of the case, he gave himself up for lost. Had it not been for the greed of the soldiers who fell plundering in the first instance, not a soul would have been left alive. Suddenly, however, while they were busy with all their mind in pillaging, a voice cried out in Turkish, "'To arms! To arms! Here's a Christian galley bearing down upon us!' And this indeed was true, for the galley which Mahmoud had described to the westward was bearing furiously down upon Hassan's under Christian colors. But before it came close to quarters it hailed the latter. "'What galley is that?' "'Hassan Pasha's, Viceroy of Cyprus.' "'How comes it, then, that you being Muslims are plundering this brigantine?' on board of which, as we know, is the caddy of Nicosia. The reply was that they only knew that the pasha had ordered them to take it, and that they, as his soldiers, had done his bidding. The commander of the galley under Christian colors, having now ascertained what he wanted to know, desisted from attacking Hassan's, and fell upon the caddy's brigantine, killed ten of its Turkish crew at the first volley, and immediately boarded it with great impetuosity. Then the caddy discovered that his assailant was no Christian, but Ali Pasha, Leonisa's lover, who had been laying wait to carry her off, and had disguised himself and his soldiers as Christians, the better to conceal his purpose. The caddy, finding himself thus assailed on all sides, began loudly to exert his lungs. "'What means this, Ali Pasha, thou traitor?' he cried. "'How comes it that, being a Muslim, thou attackest me in the garb of a Christian?' and you perfidious soldiers of hassan what demon has moved you to commit so great an outrage how dare you to please the lascivious appetite of him who sent you set yourselves against your sovereign all these words the soldiers on both sides lowered their arms looked upon and recognized each other for they had all served under one captain and one flag confounded by the caddy's words and by their conscious criminality they sheathed their blades and seemed quite discomfited Ali alone shut his eyes and his ears to everything, and rushing upon the caddy, and dealt him such a stroke on the head with his scimitar, but for the hundred ells of stuff that formed his turban, he would certainly have cleft it in two. As it was, he knocked the caddy down among the rower's benches, where he lay, exclaiming amid his groans, O cruel renegade, enemy of the prophet, can it be there is no true Muslim left to avenge me? Cursed one, to lay violent hands on thy caddy, on a minister of Mahomet. The caddy's denunciations made a strong impression on the minds of Hassan's soldiers, who, fearing besides that Ali's men would despoil them of the booty they had already looked upon as their own, determined to put all to the hazard of battle. Suddenly they fell upon Ali's men with such vehemence that, although the latter were the stronger party, they soon thinned their numbers considerably. The survivors, however, quickly rallied, and so well avenged their slaughtered comrades, that barely four of Hassan's men remained alive, and those too badly wounded. Ricardo and Mahmoud, who had been watching the fight, putting their heads out every now and then at the cabin hatchway, seeing now that most of the Turks were dead, and the survivors all wounded, that they might very easily be mastered, called upon Halima's father and two of his nephews to aid them in seizing the vessel. Then arming themselves with the dead men's scimitars, they rushed amidships, shouting, Liberty! Liberty! And with the help of the stout Christian rowers, they soon dispatched all the Turks they boarded ali pasha's galley 
he had been one of the first slain in the last conflict a turk having cut him down in revenge for the caddy and the galley being defenceless they took possession of it with all its stores by ricardo's advice all the valuables on board the brigantine and hassan's galley were transshipped to ali's that being the largest of the three vessels with plenty of stowage room and a good sailor the rowers too were christians and being highly delighted with the acquisition of their freedom and with the gifts which ricardo liberally divided amongst them they offered to carry him to trapani or to the end of the world if he desired it after this mahmoud and ricardo exulting in their success went to alima and told her if she desired to return to cyprus they would give her her own brigantine with its full complement of men half the wealth she had put on board it plus her affection for ricardo was unabated she replied she would rather go with them to the christian lands where her parents were exceedingly rejoiced the caddy having by this time got upon his legs again he too had his choice given him either to go to christendom or return to nicosia in his own vessel he replied that as fortune had reduced him to his present situation he thanked them for the boon of his liberty and that he desired to go to constantinople to complain to the grand seigneur of the outrage he had received at the hands of ali and hassan but when he heard that halima was leaving him and intended to go back to christianity he was almost beside himself finally they put him on board his own vessel supplying him abundantly with all accessories for his voyage and even giving him back some of his own sequins and he took leave of them all with the intention of returning to nicosia first he entreated that leonisa should embrace him declaring that if she would graciously grant him that favour it would wipe out the recollection of all his misfortunes all joined in entreating leonisa to grant him what he so earnestly desired since she might do so without prejudice to her honour she complied and the caddy besought her to lay her hands on his head that he might have hopes of his wound being healed these adieus concluded and having scuttled hassan's galley they sailed away with a favouring breeze and soon lost sight of the brigantine on the deck of which stood the unlucky caddy watching with swimming eyes how the wind was wafting away his property his delight his wife and his whole soul with very different feelings did marco and mahmoud pursue their way they passed in sight of alexandria without shortening sail or needing to have recourse to their oars they touched corfu where they took in water and then without more delay they left behind them the ill-famed acroceronium rocks and descried afar off pacino a promontory of the most fertile trinacria at sight of which and of the illustrious island of malta their preposterous barque seemed to fly across the waters in fine fetching a compass round the island in four days afterwards they made lampadosa and then the island where leonisa had been shipwrecked at the sight of which she almost swooned on the following day the beloved native land they so longed for gladdened their eyes and their hearts their spirits rose tumultuously with this new joy one of the greatest that can be known in this life to return safe and sound to one's country after long captivity and one which may compare with it is that of victory achieved over its enemies there was in the galley a chest full of flags and streamers of various colours with which ricardo had the rigging adorned soon after daybreak they were within less than a league of the city when taking to their oars and uttering every now and then joyous cries they advanced to the harbour the shore of which was immediately lined by a great concourse of people for the gaily adorned galley had been so long in sight that the whole town had come down to observe it more closely meanwhile ricardo had entreated leonisa to dress herself just as she had appeared in the tent before the two pashas 
for he wished to play off a pleasant trick upon his relations she did so adding jewels to jewels pearls to pearls and beauty to beauty for it increases the satisfaction of the heart to the renewed admiration and astonishment of all ricardo and mahmoud also dressed themselves in turkish costume and made the crew put on garments of the dead turks it was about eight o'clock when they entered the harbour and the morning was so calm and clear that it seemed as though they were intent on beholding this joyful arrival before coming into port ricardo fired a salute with three pieces belonging to the galley which were one gun amidships and two falconets the town returned the salute with an equal number the whole shore was in lively commotion watching the approach of the gaily decked galley but when they had a nearer view of it and saw by it the white turbans of their pretended moslems that it was a turkish craft there was general alarm suspecting some stratagem the people flew to arms all the soldiers in town were marched down to the port and the cavalry scoured the coast highly amused at all this the navigators held on their course entered the port and anchored close to the shore then running out a plank they all stepped ashore one after the other as if in procession and falling on their knees they kissed the ground with tears of joy a clear proof to all who witnessed their proceedings that they were no turks when all the crew were out of the vessel halima with her father and mother and her two nephews followed next all dressed as turks and the beautiful leonisa her face covered with a crimson veil and escorted on either side by mahmoud and ricardo closed the procession while the eyes of the whole multitude were fixed upon her they too did as the others had done and knelt and kissed the ground presently the captain and governor of the city advanced towards them perceiving that they were the principal persons belonging to the vessel the moment he set eyes on ricardo he recognized him ran to him with open arms and embraced him with the liveliest demonstrations of joy with the governor came cornelio and his father leonisa's parents and relations and those of ricardo all of whom were among the principal persons in the city ricardo returned the governor's embrace and his cordial greeting held out his hand to cornelio who had changed color at sight of him and almost quaked for fear and holding leonisa by the hand thus addressed the bystanders under your favor gentlemen i beg that before we enter the city and the temple to return the thanks so justly do our lord for the great mercies vouchsafed to us in our distress that you will listen to a few words i have to say to you the governor bade him say on for all present would listen to him with pleasure and silence all the principal people then formed a circle around him and he addressed them as follows you must well remember gentlemen the misfortune which befell me some months ago in the garden of the salt pits the loss of leonisa nor can you have forgotten the exertions i made to procure her liberation since regardless of my own i offered all that i was worth for her ransom but this seeming generosity is not to be imputed to me as merit since i did but offer my fortune for the ransom of my soul what has since happened to us both requires more time to relate a more convenient season and a speaker less agitated than myself for the present let it suffice to tell you that after various extraordinary adventures and after a thousand disappointments of our hopes of relief merciful heaven has without any merit of ours restored us to our beloved country with hearts full of joy and with abundance of wealth it is not from this nor from the recovery of my freedom that springs the incomparable pleasure i now experience but from that which i imagine this sweet enemy of mine in peace and in war enjoys on seeing herself restored to freedom and to her birthplace yet i rejoice in the general joy of those who have been my companions in misery 
and through grievous disasters are apt to alter the disposition and debase worthy minds it has not been so with the fair destroyer of my hopes for with more fortitude and invincibility than we can well be told she has passed through the wrecking sea of her disasters and the encounters of my ardent though honourable importunities but to return to the point from which i set out i offered my fortune for her ransom and with it the surrender of my soul's desires i strove for her liberation and ventured more for her than for my own life all these things might seem to be obligations of some moment but i will not have them regarded in that light what i would have so considered is that which i do now and so saying he raised his hand and respectfully withdrew the veil from leonisa's face it was like removing a cloud from before the sun and then he continued see cornelio here i present to you the prize which you should have valued above all precious things on earth and here beauteous leonisa i present to you him whom you have always borne in memory this is what i would have you all esteem as generosity in comparison with which to give fortune life and honour is nothing take her o fortunate youth take her and if your understanding can reach the height of comprehending the greatness of her worth esteem yourself the most fortunate of mankind with her i will also give you my whole share of what heaven has bestowed on us all it will exceed as i fully believe thirty thousand crowns you may enjoy it all freely and at your ease and heaven grant you to do so for many happy years for my hapless self since i am left without leonisa it is my pleasure to be poor to want leonisa is to find life superfluous here he ceased speaking as if his tongue clove to the roof of his mouth but soon afterwards before any one else had spoken he exclaimed good heavens how toil and trouble confuse the understanding in the eagerness of my desire to do right i have spoken inconsiderately for no one can be generous in disposing of what is not his own what authority have i over leonisa to give her to another how can i bestow what is so far from being mine leonisa is her own mistress and so much so that failing her parents long and happily may they live her wishes could have no opposition to encounter should they meet an imaginary obstacle in the obligations which she in her good feeling may think she is under to me from this moment i cancel them and declare them null and void i unsay then what i have said and i give cornelio nothing for i cannot only i can confirm the transfer of my property made to leonisa without desiring any other recompense than that she will believe in the sincerity of my honourable sentiments towards her be assured that they never had aim unbecoming her incomparable virtue her worth and her infinite beauty ricardo closed his speech with these words and leonisa thus replied if you imagine ricardo that i bestowed any favour on cornelio during the time when you were enamoured of me and jealous think that it was in all honour as being done by the express desire of my parents who wished to have him for their son-in-law if you are satisfied with this explanation i am sure you are no less so with what you have yourself experienced as to my virtue and modesty i say this ricardo that you may know that i have always been mistress of myself and subject to no one else except my parents whom i now entreat humbly as is meet to grant me leave and license to dispose of what your magnanimous generosity has given me her parents said she might do so for they relied on her great discretion that she would make such use of it as would always rebound to her honour and advantage with that permission then said leonisa 
I beg it not be taken amiss if I choose rather to seem overbold and ungrateful. And so worthy, Ricardo, my inclination hereto coy, perplexed, and dubious, declares in your favour, that the world may know that women are not ungrateful. I am yours, Ricardo, and yours I will be until death, unless better knowledge move you to refuse me your hand. Ricardo was almost beside himself to hear her speak thus, and could make no other reply than by falling on his knees before her, grasping her hands, and kissing them a thousand times with delicious tears. Cornelio wept with vexation, Leonisa's parents for joy, and all the bystanders for admiration and sympathy. The bishop, who was present, led them with his blessing to the church, and dispensing with the usual forms, married them at once. The whole city overflowed with gladness, which it testified that night by a splendid illumination, and for many days following in jousts and rejoicings given by the relations of Ricardo and Leonisa. Halima, who had lost all hope of having Ricardo for her husband, was content to become the wife of Mahmoud, having returned with him to the bosom of the church. Her parents and her two nephews were, by Ricardo's bounty, presented with so much out of his share of the spoil, as sufficed to maintain them for the rest of their lives. In a word, all were happy to their heart's content. The fame of Ricardo, spreading beyond the limits of Sicily, extended throughout all Italy and beyond it. He was universally known as the generous lover, and his renown is still prolonged in the persons of many sons born to him by Leonisa, who was a rare example of discretion, virtue, modesty, and beauty. End of the Generous Lover, Part 3 Recording by Kirk Ziegler, Ogden, Utah, voiceover-solutions.com